I, um, I love Bible stories. I love the Bible. Um, I remember as a kid, before I really got saved, I, I didn't really know much of the Bible. I had a little Bible, but I didn't read it or anything like that. And I wanna say I was around 12 years old. Uh, I went to a Christian summer camp. And, and not because I wanted the Lord, but because my parents wanted to get rid of me for a week. Hey, youth camp and kids camp is coming up, by the way. Uh, so whatever the motivation, send your kids to camp, right? But I remember sitting in a, in a little circle uh, in kind of a breakout session. And the leader started going around the circle and he asked everybody to tell what their favorite Bible story was. Now, I didn't know any Bible stories. I couldn't have told you the first thing about Daniel. I couldn't have told you who David was. I barely knew anything about Jesus. I know I knew I got presents at Christmas and I got a basket at Easter and I was good with that, right? And, and so uh, I have my little Bible and I'm looking through it and I'm trying to find something and then I see something I recognize, a, a word that I have seen before. And since it's the Bible, I can only assume like, well, you know, this will work, this will go. And so if you've ever been in those situations where you know you got to talk in a little bit and I'm, I'm sweating, you know, I'm thinking, all right, I hope this is good, I hope this works. I hope he doesn't belabor over me uh, too long. And uh, he finally comes to me and he says, uh, Drew, what's your favorite Bible story? And with all the confidence of my 12-year-old self, I blurt out, Genesis. And he said, well, um, that's a great book of the Bible, but what, what's your favorite Bible story? And uh, I, I stuck to my guns. I said, Genesis, all of it. <laughs> And you know, he awkwardly nodded, all right, and then went along and a couple of years later, I, I do get saved. I give my life to Christ and um, I was invited to come to church on a Wednesday night. It was the middle of July in Mississippi. I was weed eating a bank on the side of a hill on a, on a little country road and this lady pulled over and said, hey, I'm the youth leader at Rocky Hill Church of God. You should come to church tonight. We got a youth service. And so uh, I figured there'd be girls there, so I went. and. Um, I gave my life to the Lord that night. He healed me of anger and hatred and suicidal thoughts, delivered me from deep, dark depression and saved me, changed me, made me new. And I stood up from that altar after about two hours of weeping before the Lord as he worked in my heart. And I looked at my pastor who had led me in a sinner's prayer. And I told him, I said, I want to spend the rest of my life telling people what Jesus did to me tonight. And he said, well, how about Wednesday night, a few weeks from now, you preach. And so I did. March 21st of 2001, I preached my very first sermon. I had went to the Bible bookstore in our local town, and I had bought my very first Bible. And it was a King James Bible because if it was good enough for Paul, right, it was good enough for me. And so I started reading that thing cover to cover. And to be very honest with you, I understood very little of it. And, uh, but I enjoyed it and I felt the Lord minister to me. I started in Matthew and, and I would read all night long and I would write sermons that I 
never preached at that time, but I would write sermons. I remember getting to Matthew 16 and when Peter confesses that Jesus is Christ and then Jesus, after Peter starts to rebuke Jesus and Peter uh, goes to Jesus and he says these things, you know, he rebukes Jesus or, and then Peter looks at, or Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest the things of man and not the things of God. That was the very first sermon I ever wrote. And I was like, man, you know, I tell people that now. It's like, it's pretty intense stuff for, for a 15 year old to, to be uh, writing sermons about. Uh, but when I preached my first sermon, I preached out of Philippians chapter two about how Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant, became a human, uh, considering himself not equal with God. He gave up the privileges of the Godhead and preached on that. I was, it was heresy front and back, but it was, it was good for me. It was the scariest 11 minutes of my life though. Sorry, you saw how long first service went, so just get ready. And what was crazy is that summer I started getting opportunities to go and to preach. And I was, I just turned 16 years old and I would get asked to go to these different churches and preach. And I remember the very first time I went to this one little church, it was a, a small church and literally the entire auditorium would not have fit this section of chairs in it over here. And so I preached my little heart out and, 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 I, and I just, you know, as best I could. And after the service, they gave me an honorarium, which I didn't know what that was, but it was amazing to find out that people paid me to do that at the time. I would have done it for free, right? And, uh, but they gave it to me in a little Ziploc bag, literally had just coins and cash in it. It was amazing. But I was, I was, it was just like the best. I was like, wow, I get to preach and I got paid. That's, I can work with that. It wasn't long after that, I got invited to this one church. They wanted me to preach a Saturday night youth service and then Sunday morning. And this is a larger church. Um, and, and so I preached that night and the thing is in Mississippi and a lot of places, you're kind of out in the middle of, you know, a cow pasture or around chicken houses and there's not a lot of holiday inns in the area. And so uh, instead of putting me up in a hotel, I stayed with an, a, a couple in the church and they were a little older, they had grandkids. And so um, I go into the bedroom that they have for me and, I, uh, and I'm laying there and you know, it's eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. And I look over and I see these books and I had seen these books before like in the waiting rooms of doctor's offices and they're literally called the Bible story and they're these blue books and they had the whole set of them right and so I get down on the floor I pull one out and I start reading and before I know it the sun is coming up and light is coming in the room I spent the entire night reading uh, through these books I still didn't even finish them all that to say, I love the Bible. I love Bible stories. And I hope that through this series and even just being a part of Lifehouse Church, that if you don't know the Bible, I hope that you will learn stuff. I think that you can teach without preaching, but I don't think that you can preach without teaching. Did I say that right? Okay. I hope that you'll learn things. But even more than what I hope you will learn, I hope you will develop a passion to learn it for yourself. And if the Bible is hard for you to understand, first of all, like, that's okay. I get it. Been there, done that. Still, still there, right? Get you a children's Bible. Like, legitimately get you a children's Bible. No shame in that. And start reading it. And you will, I, I, I guarantee you, you will fall in love with these stories. And they will begin to make a difference in your life. And so I hope that first and foremost, you will fall in love with the Word of God. And I hope that you will learn something. I tell you, you know, every time I pick this book up, 
And I begin to read it. And I mean, I've read a lot of it. I went to school to learn this. I've got commentaries more than I'll ever be able to read in my lifetime, truthfully. But every time I pick this book up, I see something I've never seen before. I notice something that I've never noticed before and it makes an impact in my life. And the reason why is because this book, these words are not stationary. There is life on these pages. Not because of the ink, not because of the paper, but because of the author. And the word of God is living and active. And so I want you to go to Joshua today. Joshua chapter six, as we continue our series. And we're gonna talk about a story that even if you are not uh, all that familiar with the Bible, or even if you don't attend church all that often, you've probably seen a flannel graph or a VeggieTales episode or heard somebody somewhere at some time preach on Joshua and the walls of Jericho, right? They marched around the city. Joshua chapter 6. I'm going to skip around just a little bit, but um, we'll start with verse number 1. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, go to verse 10. This is Joshua talking. He says, do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. So what Joshua is essentially saying, uh, Bobby, think of me just a little more. What Joshua was essentially saying is that for the first six days, be quiet. And you have to ask yourself, why is he telling them to be quiet? Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. Now, remember, we read these stories with the benefit of thousands of years of, of, of scripture and church history in hindsight. And so it's so easy, kind of like what John said about the Lord's Supper, it's so easy to allow our familiarity with these stories to rob us from the wonder that they contain. But you gotta remember, they are in the wilderness, they have wandered for 40 years and they are about to cross into the land of promise. And literally God is telling them, hey, you're not gonna take any swords, not gonna take any bows or arrows, you're not gonna get any armor, you're not a plan, you're just gonna walk around it and then eventually the walls will fall down. I think Joshua told the people to not talk because they would have been like, what the heck are we doing, Wendy? Joshua has lost his mind. Where's Moses when you need him, right? Why did he have to go off and die? Joshua is an idiot. He's so, Moses would have never done this. Moses would have never made us do this. This is silly. This is ridiculous. And if you're not careful, it happens to you and me even today. We will talk ourselves out of the miracle God is trying to give us. We will, with our own words, speak doubt into existence that will penetrate our faith and rob us from the wonders that God wants to do among us. 
And so he says, don't talk, don't say a word, be quiet. Verse 15, on the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, everybody say this time. This time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout for the Lord has given you the town. Verse 17, Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared for she protected our spies. Verse 20, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. Can we just take a moment and shout for the Lord here at Lifehouse Church? Come on, can we shout for the Lord today? Amen. Some of y'all just came to watch a show and you didn't come to worship. Let's just be honest about it. Can we shout for the Lord? Come on. Amen. 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 When the people heard the ram's horn, they shouted as long as they could. And suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. I want to preach a message to you today that I'm calling from wandering to wonders. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. God, I pray that you will help me to be obedient to you, to be completely and totally surrendered to you. God, to preach with the authority that you have given me, to preach under the anointing that you have placed over me. But God, more than, more than preaching, more than my words, more than anything I can do or anything I can say, that your Holy Spirit would move and minister transforming us. God, me, transforming me. I need this word. I need what you have for me, Lord. Touching this church, touching this body of believers, helping us to love you more passionately and to obey you more faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, one more time. Can we give the Lord praise in the house? Amen. So to truly appreciate this story, we really need to go back about 500 years uh, to, the, to the man, we talked about him two weeks ago, the man named Abraham, you know, who had many sons. And, and many sons had, yeah, yeah. Now, you know, now we know the meaning of the song. You know, as a, chi- as a kid, I didn't know what it meant. Uh, and if you need more information on that, you have to go back and listen to the sermon from two weeks ago. But uh, I can just imagine, you know, someone playing the harp and uh, hitting the flashback music and the scene changing. We go back to Abraham about 500 years prior to this moment. God speaks to Abraham and he says, I want to give you a land and I want to give you a people. You go to the land that I will show you is the first thing he says. And he tells Abraham essentially to travel to the land of Canaan, which is today where modern day Israel is and where uh, God was sending Joshua and the Israelites at this time. And he says, I will make you the father of many, that your descendants will be many, and that through you the whole world will be blessed. Now, and this is all back in my favorite Bible story, Genesis, right? If you guys remember And it starts with Genesis 12. Abraham has a son. Eventually his son is Isaac. And Isaac has a son whose name is Jacob. Now Jacob is an incredible figure in the Old Testament that I'm going to talk about probably next week. So come back for that. And Jacob's name is changed by God to Israel. And Israel, who was formerly known as Jacob, has a son named Joseph. 
Joseph has a vision. Joseph's vision essentially involves his father and all of his relatives bowing down to him as Joseph being their authority. Now what's unique about that is Joseph is the youngest sibling. And in this culture, something to think like that is just absurd. Joseph is uh, really getting under the skin of his brothers. His brothers sell him into slavery. He is taken to Egypt uh, as a slave. He's a slave in the house of a man named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife has the hots for him. And, 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 but Joseph is like, no, no, girl, I'm good. Uh, and so, uh, because I guess she's so insulted and so angry, she claims that Joseph raped her. And because of that, Potiphar has Joseph thrown in jail. In jail, the hand of God is still on Joseph's life. And, and if, you, if we talk about Joseph in this series, just act surprised when I tell you all this again in, in the future, right? Just be like, wow, I've never heard any of this before. This is amazing. And so in, the, in prison, Joseph is elevated in position there. Uh, long story short, Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph interprets a dream. Pharaoh's like, you know what? You're a pretty smart guy. Why don't you be second in command of all of Egypt? And when that happens, there's a famine in the land. Joseph's family moves to Egypt in the land of Goshen where they live there for many years. And eventually the Bible tells us as we go into the book of Exodus that there arose a Pharaoh who did not, who did not remember Joseph and his family and the contribution. So they enslaved the Israelites. And for 400 years, the Israelites served the Egyptians as slaves in the land of Egypt until one day, everybody say one day, God calls a man named Moses. Now, something that you will see as you read through the scriptures, it seems as if God does nothing on this planet apart from doing it through a person. That's why we've got to be surrendered and obedient to him, right? God calls a man named Moses, says, Moses, go to Pharaoh. And Moses is a great character. And again, we'll probably touch on him at some point. I've preached on Moses dozens of times in my life. One of my favorite Bible characters. Uh, there was a post on our Lifehouse page. If you could have coffee with anybody in the Bible, who would it be? And for me, I put Moses because I think that's who I would pick. I mean, you know, of course, Jesus. But I get to talk to him every day. Right? All right. And so Moses, through a lot of arguing with God, goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go, in his best Charlton Heston impersonation. And through a whole bunch of flies, frogs, and, and locusts, and, and bloody water, and, you know, all kinds of bad things. It's the plagues of Egypt. you got to go read it for yourself. Uh, Pharaoh eventually lets them go. They cross through the Red Sea into the wilderness. John was talking about 40 days after they crossed over, or 50 days rather, after Passover, which was when the death angel came on Egypt and all the firstborns died, except for those who were covered by the blood of the Lamb. Come on, somebody. And, and so they go, uh, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai for the very first Pentecost celebration where there was a bunch of thunder, a bunch of fire, a bunch of clouds, a bunch of smoke. And, and God gives Moses the law on tablets of stone, you know, which 2,000 years later, God would instead write the, hearts, or write the law on the hearts of his people on the day of Pentecost. That's another sermon for next Pentecost Sunday. And so he receives the law and he comes back down, finds everybody worshiping a golden calf. He throws the stones down. 3,000 people are killed. By the way, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people are saved. And, and so uh, then they, they approach the promised land, the land that is supposed to be theirs. Moses, even though God didn't tell him to, he sends 12 spies into the land. Ten of the twelve come back and say, no, it's no good. Can't do it. Too big, too bad. Uh, we're too small. We're too weak. And God says to them, hey, if you're going to doubt me, then you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until this entire generation 
has died off, except for the two spies who believed, Caleb and Joshua. Joshua's original name was Hosea, which means, uh, I got to read it because I forgot what it was. He has saved. God changed his name in Deuteronomy to Joshua, which means the Lord has saved, which shows us that all the things that happened in Joshua's life, from the walls of Jericho falling to the sun standing still in the sky, it's in there. Go read it in the book of Joshua. It's not because Joshua was so big and so bad, but because his God is so mighty and so able. And so Moses, or, or God says, uh, you will wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And so now as we, as we go into Joshua chapter 1, the 40 years have passed and, and, and the, that whole generation has died off. And now it's their children led by Joshua. And this is how it opens in Joshua chapter 1. By the way, I just gave you the quickest bird's eye view of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible you've probably ever received or heard of in your life. I did it in nine minutes, according to the countdown timer. That's, I mean, I feel like I should be, uh, you know, congr- yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll be here for a while. So Joshua chapter 1 opens like this. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead Therefore, the time has come for you to lead the people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I'm giving them. Can we just stop right here and appreciate this transfer of power and, and this moment? You, got, you have to also remember that Moses is like a father to Joshua. And so God speaks to Joshua and he says, hey, Moses is dead. You're in charge. Good luck. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's what it feels like. Therefore, the time has come, he says, for you to lead these people across the Jordan to the land that I'm giving them. Verse number three, I'll promise you what I promised Moses. This is beautiful. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I've given you. Wherever you, he doesn't say there's land over here that I've given you. No, he says, wherever you put your foot because of the anointing that's on your life, that's your land. I'm giving you that land. Verse number nine, we're going to skip a few here. This is my command. This is God speaking to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of guy that when I read the Bible and cities are listed or places are listed or mountains are listed in the Bible, I am the guy that's always like, where's that at in the the Bible? So I want you to see where we are geographically here in the Middle East, in Israel, in in all where we are. So you kind of see down here in the Sinai Peninsula and up in there in the wilderness, that's where the people of Israel wander for 40 years, more or less. And this red circle is where they are at right now as we open Joshua chapter 1. In the plains of Moab. Now, the promise of God for them is the promised land, which is uh, west of the Jordan River. And so, God is saying to Joshua, you are over here, but I want you to go back to the land that I originally gave your ancestor Abraham. So, in order to do that, you have to cross the Jordan River and you have to get past the city of Jericho which is technically an intruder on the land that belongs to you. And so 
Joshua and all the people, the priests, they take up the Ark of the Covenant, which, what is, which is where the, the presence of God dwelt in this time, in this age. But now the Lord dwells in his people. Amen. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and so they take up the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible tells us that as they set foot in the Jordan River, the water that was flowing down stopped. So the Red Sea is not the only sea that parted. And what's beautiful about that is, is God is, is promoting Joshua in the eyes of the people, saying, hey, if Moses can part water, so can Joshua, right? And so they walk across on dry land as the Lord stops the Jordan River from flowing, and they approach the city of Jericho, and, and God is essentially, that, that's where we opened up for them, right? And so this is what it says in, in chapter 3, verse 3. So before I read that, though, I want to ask you this. How many of you know that God has a plan for your life? How many of you know that God has a promise for your life? How many of you would like to know the explicit details of every part of that plan and purpose? But how many of you know that that doesn't actually happen? Right. Yeah, right. Crystal is on. We're tracking here. So, so I want you to see something. This, this is something that would be great for you to, to see, to apply it to your life. This is what it says. Because Joshua and the people, they don't really know what God wants to do in them and through them and with them. They, they're, they're kind of following with a lot of hope and a lot of trust and saying, okay, God, I hope this works out. And sometimes in our life, if we're being honest, that's kind of how it feels. In fact, I would even submit to you, when you feel that way, that's when you probably know you're doing something right. Because if life never gets uncomfortable, if life never feels a little bit dangerous, if life never has some risk in it, I would argue with you that you are not listening to the voice of God for your life. Because he never calls us to safety. He never calls us to ease, right? And so this is what he says in Joshua 3. When you see the Levite priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. And I love this verse 4 right here. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Man, I'm telling you, from this point on in your life, you've never traveled this way before. But if you'll stay close to his presence, he'll take you wherever you need to be. He'll stay close to his presence, stay close to his peace, stay close to his promise. And then chapter 3, verse 5. Then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Now, up until this point, 40 years, what have they been doing? They've been wandering. By the way, that has an A in it instead of an O, right? They've been wandering in the wilderness. Not, not wandering, but wa you got to have a little Mississippi in you when you say it. Wandering in the wilderness, right? I'm from Mississippi. I can say that. If, you, if you're not, you can't say that, okay? They got, they've been wandering in the wilderness. But the Lord is trying to take them from the place of wandering in the wilderness to seeing the wonders of God in their life. But in order to do that, they've got to do something first. Joshua tells the people, purify yourselves today before the Lord. And tomorrow, after you have purified yourself, after you have done what you need to do, God will do for you what you cannot do for you. Purify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. In other words, let me say it like this. Purity. Holiness, these are other words for purity. Consecration, I'm going to read from that in a moment where the translation uses the word consecration, is my job. God makes me righteous in his sight, but holiness is my choice. I just dropped some theology on you and you didn't even see it coming. 
God makes me right or righteous in his sight, but holiness is not instantaneous. And there's another word we use for it in the church. We don't say it enough anymore. It's called sanctification. Come on, in the church that I got saved in, Rocky Hill Church of God, we would have testimony nights on Sunday night. Now, we don't do that in here because I heard those testimonies and I learned then, we ain't going to do that when I'm pastoring. I don't want to hear about your hemorrhoids. I don't want to hear... I'm, you think I'm playing? I ain't playing. I ain't playing. You ever been to one of those services? You know I ain't lying to you. I don't want to hear about that stuff. That's just between you and the Lord and your doctor, okay? Leave me out of it, all right? So we don't have testimony tonight. But, they, but these older saints, they would get up and say, Pastor, I've been saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost for 40 years now. Because they would say, I've been, the Lord has made me righteous. But listen, I've done the work of sanctification in my life. And I'm filled with his spirit. I'm called according to his purposes. And I'm living in the wonders that he has for me. It's a beautiful thing. Saved, sanctified. Now listen. Theologically, I think sanctification is the progressive work. I don't think that you ever arrive at the moment of being fully sanctified until you see him face to face. But that doesn't mean that I can't be better today than I was yesterday. Purity, holiness, consecration, sanctification is my job as a follower of Jesus. And if you can, if you really love him, if he's really changed your life, you, you want that for yourself. To not want that would be as if in a marriage, a husband or a wife to look at their spouse and say, I love you, but I want to have some side pieces too. That's not love, though, is it? I don't know what it is, but it's certainly not love. Purity, holiness, sanctification, consecration is my job. Salvation is the Lord's job. I, I would like to make a proposal that at Lifehouse Church, instead of celebrating Pride Month in the month of June, maybe we could celebrate Purity Month. You know, the scriptures tell us that pride precedes a fall. The scriptures also tell us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I got enough things in this world opposing me. I don't need God opposing me too. I need the grace of God in my life. And so, Lord, I want to humble myself before you. I'm not proud of anything, but, Lord, I'm, I will praise you. Purity is something that that word may have gotten abused a little bit in the church world in decades gone by. But it doesn't mean that we should have left it the way we did. Does that make sense? Purity is my job. Great wonders are God's job. In Joshua 5, this is going to take a turn, y'all. You holding on? Is it okay if I just take my time with you? And Megan's on board. As long as Megan's good, I'm good. In Joshua 5, we learned that the main way they had to purify themselves, you guys holding on? Was they had to be circumcised. Yep. If you don't know what that means and you're young, ask your mama. Don't ask me. I ain't talking about it. I'm just going to say the word and that's all I'm going to say about it. They had to be circumcised. 
Joshua goes to all the men who had spent 40 years growing up in this wilderness. And they, that is something that they didn't do, apparently, like they were supposed to do when they were eight days old. That was the covenant that God made with Abraham, that on the eighth day, all the male boys, all the male children will be circumcised on the eighth day after birth. But that, that kind of fell through the cracks, right, while they were in the wilderness. And so Joshua goes to them and says, hey, guys, see this big old city? The Lord's given it to us. Ah, yeah, that's great. Uh, we got to do one thing first. <laughs> what is it, Joshua? What is it? We're ready. Mm, you've got to circumcise yourselves. I mean, like to yourself too. You know, I went bungee jumping one time. And this is a true story. And, and I, I'm standing on this platform looking down at the ground. And um, I look at the guy who just strapped me into this harness. And I'm like, dude, I can't do this. And he says, well, you just, you just have to walk back down. And, I, and he said, and everybody's going to look at you like you're, you're weak. And I said, well, I am. <laughs> but I don't want to do this still. And he said, all right. He starts to unhook it. And, he said, and I said to him, hey, can you just push me? Because I can't do this myself. I would sit there over the edge, and he would go one, two, three, bungee, and I would pull myself back. I did that three times until I finally was like, dude, you just got to push me. And he went one and then just pushed me. <laughs> I read this sentence. I read this command kind of like that. Like, how do you do that to yourself? But here, here's the lesson, okay? I know this is awkward and strange and, and well, that's, it's awkward and strange, okay? But here's the lesson. In the wilderness, the people of God had let some things go. They had let some things that were important to their faith slip through the cracks. They had been distracted by the things going on in their life, the, the, the trouble and the trials and the problems and the pain. and, the, and They had been distracted by the things that they couldn't control that were happening to them. And in the middle of all of the distractions, in the middle of all of the things going on in their lives, there were some things that God had said, these are things you will do, these are things that you won't do, that in the middle of this wilderness season of their life, they let them slip through the cracks. And God said, if you want wonders, you first have got to do the works. And he said, there's some things that you know you're supposed to do that you need to go do. If you want what I have to offer. And so you got to think, you know, why didn't they do it? Maybe, you know, there was some, some, some pretty obvious facts. Like they, they didn't have any way to sterilize things. They didn't, they didn't have an abundance of, of, of knives or swords. Like literally, this is weird, but it's true. Because the command Joshua gives them, he says, make some flint rocks or some sharp rocks and go circumcise yourselves. And that's not because he wanted to make it worse. It's because they didn't have the tools they needed to do it correctly. This is weird. There's just no way around it, guys. No anesthesia, no antiseptic, right? In the wilderness, the people had let some things go. Is it possible that we 
the people of God do not see the wonders of God because we've let some things go? Is it possible that the, the Lord would say to us today, yeah, there's, there's some walls, right? There's some rivers. There's some battles. There's some dead things that I want to bring to life. But there's some things in your life that you've resurrected that you need to kill. Is it possible that we do not experience the wondrous because we don't do the work. And because we won't do the work, God can't trust us with the wondrous. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you won't make heaven. It just means that you might be a little lonely when you get there. Because you're not investing in this life and the life to come. Oh, we got IRAs and, and, and 401ks and... I don't know. I don't have any of those because I don't got enough money. But, you know, I don't know. We got investments. We got this. We got that. We, you know, my, my, my stock market's in collecting, collectible Bibles right now, you know. But are we investing in the world to come? Are we investing in eternity that, that comes after this? You might would say some things like this. If you were being very honest with yourself and with the Lord, you might would say, you know, when I first got saved, I, I prayed all the time. But if I'm being honest, I don't pray like I used to. You know, because work's just been really busy. And I'm really tired. And I'm really wore out. And, and I want to sleep as late as I can in the mornings. And I don't want to get up early to pray because, you know, i got to work 10 or 12 hours. And, and, and it's, just been, it's just been a hard season, right? I've been, it's been a, a wilderness season, so to speak. And so I don't pray like I used to. Or maybe, maybe you would say, um, you know, I know we haven't been to church very consistently. The kids are just in all kinds of activities. You know, they're always playing this sport or going to this recital or doing this thing. And, and it's just really hard to be consistent on Sunday mornings. And, you know, sometimes we just want a good family day so we can just go do something fun. Why is it that when life gets tight... The things of God are the first things to go. And the reason why is because we see those things as inconsequential. We see those things as, as optional. But the reality is they are the most mandatory things that there is. And so we are sacrificing the wonders that we could see for the, the menial and the inconsequential that we can see. You know, I, I, you know, we haven't been able to give to missions lately. We're saving money to buy a house. You know, we don't, we, we're, we're tithing what we can. But, you know, things are real tight right now. I get it. I go through those seasons. But I don't stay there. Is it possible? You know, think about this way. Joshua's name was changed from a name that said it was all up to him to a name that said it's all up to the Lord. Is it possible that 
The devil has deceived us into thinking that if I don't do it, if I don't save it, if I don't spend it, if I don't whatever, then it won't get done. And so we sacrifice the things of the Lord because we think we have to do the other stuff and we put God on the altar when we should be putting ourselves on the altar. I, you know, I don't want to go to that church. The preacher preaches too long. He preaches at least hour-long sermons. Or, you know, the worship team, they just, they just keep on worshiping. I get it. Like, I, I'm, I'm not oblivious to that. I understand that. There, there have been people who have come to me after church service and said, hey, I loved it all, but I just don't want to be here. We just, we want to get out so we can do other stuff on Sundays. And, and I, listen, I, I, I'm not upset about it. I'm not offended by it. I just, if I can be truthful with you, I just feel really sorry for you. Like if your life is so slam-packed busy that literally 30 extra minutes on a Sunday makes all the difference in the world for you, you need, you need Jesus plus a psychiatrist. My wife's not in here to look at me dirty, so I'm just saying what I want to say. Maybe you would even say, you know, I want to share my faith, but I'm, aware, I'm worried I'm going to offend somebody. You know, I, I want to speak about certain topics, but I'm, I'm just, you know, I got to work with these people. Well, yeah, enjoy your time at work because you won't get to see them in eternity. Can I just tell you, there's no such thing as a private, personal relationship with Jesus. I'm so, I'm, I, I, I mean... We, we say, oh, I, you know, personal relationship with Jesus. Like, that's a thing to be proud of. No, 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 no. I want to have a public relationship yeah. with Jesus. Yeah. I, I want to have a public, because this gospel is, if, it, if it's real, right? If, if it's true, my God, how selfish must we be to hold on to it? It would be like saying I have the cure for this deadly disease that I know somebody has. But I know if I approach them to talk to them about it, oh, I'm going to hurt their feelings. I'm going to make them mad. They're going to be upset. I call them out on their problems. My God, like if somebody's dying and going to hell, be a good person. Be a loving person and tell them the truth. And then leave the results up to the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you love people, share the gospel with them. Share the truth of God's word with them. I'm not saying be a jerk. I'm not saying, uh, you know, walk around thumping your Bible, telling them how they're going to go to hell. I'm saying show them how good he is. So good that everything else begins to lose its taste in this world. He's so good that the sins that the devil would want to tempt you with all of a sudden become, in the words of the song, strangely dim, right? Every other good thing, every other mediocre thing begins to fade away into the background as you realize how precious he is, how beautiful he is, how good he is, how gracious he is, how merciful. Come on, why aren't you helping me out right now? Come on, he's, he's worth it. And the people outside of these walls are worth it too. Some of y'all been wandering in the wilderness for too long. You've been, you've been living this life that so many people in this world live where we try to get through this day just so we can do the same thing tomorrow. And that becomes the story of your life. It's Tuesday again. Can't wait for Friday. Wishing your life away because you don't realize the purpose you have even on a Tuesday. Tuesday. 
because you're not seeing the wonders of God, even in the middle of the mundane of this world, because you're not doing the things you know you should be doing. You've forsaken holiness for pleasure. You've forsaken consecration for convenience. All right, I'm done. You guys okay? I mean, I'm not done preaching, but I'm done beating you. (laughs) You know, we can be thankful uh, for any men in the room that didn't have this done as a baby. Physical circumcision is no longer part of the new covenant under Christ. Uh, AJ's uh, life track over there. Can you just imagine that like, you know, we think, we talk, we stop it. If we talk about living a holy life and things that we need to do or things that we don't need to do, can you imagine AJ being like, well, hey, I'm so glad that you gave your life to Christ and part of our church, by the way. Anyway, all right, so flashback is over. We're back to Joshua. Joshua is the official leader. The people are consecrated. All the men have healed up and Jericho is in their sights, right? And so we go back to verse one of chapter six. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was able to go out or in. The Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and its strong warriors. War, war, warriors. All right, if you will show the, uh, show the illustration there. So this is, this is an artist's rendition of what Jericho would have looked like at this time. And I just want you to imagine yourself as Joshua, not leading a military, but leading a bunch of like nomad desert wanderers, right? And saying, okay, guys, this, this is the goal. We've got to take this city. And, 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 and so, so you, you imagine the men, they're like, all right, all right, Joshua, you know, what's the plan? You know, where are we going to get some, some, some metal to build some swords? Where are we going to get the wood to build the bow and the arrow? And, 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 and Joshua, in his conversation with God, as he's looking at this city, and, and God says to Joshua, I've given it to you, Joshua. Can't you see? Can't you see? There it is. It's all yours. And Joshua's like, God, that doesn't look like mine. That, that looks like you're trying to keep it from me, not give it to me. Oh, and by the way, God, all you want me to do is walk around it for a few days? And the walls are just going to fall? And then we're just going to miraculously win this battle? Here, here, here's, here's a truth for you. If you take notes, write this down. Sometimes when you obey God, you're going to look foolish. Here's a wall. Take the priest. Get your horns. Take your decorated dresser known as the Ark of the Covenant, Right? And, and, and commit to a seven-day hike in the same place. It's like watching a NASCAR race. I mean, how boring could it be? Maybe for you, it's, you know, some things that you need to give up or maybe some things that you need to pick up. Maybe, maybe the Lord's calling you to move somewhere, to become a missionary, to become a minister, become a pastor. Maybe, maybe he's just calling you to work in the nursery. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's calling you to, to witness to a coworker or to introduce yourself to a neighbor. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's big or small. Nonetheless, just be obedient to the Lord. Be sensitive to the Lord. See, here's the thing about the story. We know how it ends. For one, I've already read it to you. For two, you probably heard it and you already know eventually the walls are going to fall. But remember, this is a real story about real people. And they had no idea how that story was going to end. Just like you don't have any idea how your story, your situation, your season, your Jericho is going to end, right? So what do you do when you don't know what to do? You do whatever God says to do. 
I'm going to say that again. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You just do whatever God says to do. And sometimes when you do that, compared to the standards of this world, you're going to look foolish. Secondly, sometimes when you obey God, when you do whatever God says to do, you're going to look like a failure. Even under the best of circumstances, Israel really didn't have a chance against Jericho. Like in world standards, right? They, they really didn't stand a chance. You had a fortified city with the standing military and guards, weapons and supplies, all the stuff. And instead of training their military, instead of sharpening swords, instead of creating a battle plan, instead of building weapons of warfare, Joshua would sit down with his guys. He's like, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do, right? Can you just imagine this with me, if you will? We're going to take a walk. We're going to play a super extended version of the quiet game. We're going to walk some more, and then we're going to see which one of y'all can yell the loudest. I mean, like, I know I'm, but that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did. Are you willing to obey the Lord, even if it makes you look like a fool, and even if it makes no earthly sense, to just say, okay, God, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but you're good, you're faithful, and I want to be obedient. I'll give it, I'll go there, I'll tithe it, I'll get, uh, I'll whatever, I'll, I'll start doing it, I'll serve, I'll talk, I'll go, whatever it may be. Because remember, righteousness is a gift that's given to us because of the finished work of Jesus. But holiness is a progressive work that the longer you follow Jesus, mm, I just, I feel the Lord in this. The longer you follow Jesus, and I don't mean like, you know, there's, there are people that have been following Jesus for 40 years, but they're no closer to him today than they were 40 years ago. Let me say it like this. The closer you get to the Lord, the more offended by your sin that you will be. There are things today at 38 years old that at 28 years old, I did not think were a big deal. But at 38 years old, I know that that is offensive to the Spirit of God in my life. And I don't want to disrupt His anointing over me. I don't want to disrupt His blessing over me. My heart has become more like His heart. Praise the Lord for that. It's not because I'm so good. It's because He's so good. And here's my prayer. That at 48 years old, there will be even more things in my life that, that I will lay down or that I will pick up. Because the, grow, the closer I have grown to Him, the easier my heart is pricked by the same things that prick His heart. The closer you get to him, the easier it is to be offended, if you will, by the same things he's offended by. And I'm not talking about the worldly offense. I'm talking about in your gut where you say, Lord, I have messed up. I repent of my sin. Will you please forgive me? And also remember that James tells us, if you know to do something good and you don't do it, to you it is sin. So sometimes sin isn't what you did. Sometimes sin is what you ain't doing. Right? And you say to God, God, I should have done that. I should have said that. I should have spoken up. I should have gave that. I should have went there. I should have signed up for that team. I should have done this. But Lord, I didn't. Please forgive me. And God, if you'll give me another chance, I promise to listen to your voice and to be obedient to your word. You guys okay? Sometimes when you obey God, you're going to look like a fool. You just need to accept that. Sometimes when you obey God by the world standards, you're going to look like a failure. 
you're going to look like you're doing the exact opposite of what you should be doing. But here's the promise, is that every time you choose to obey God, you're going to be blessed. Every time you choose to obey God, you're going to be blessed. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Your job as a follower of Christ is to do whatever God has called you to do. Your job as a follower of Christ is to be obedient to every word he speaks to you. And, not, and I don't just mean like, like, you know, you pray and you feel the Lord. I mean, you get in the word and you hear the word, the word changes you and you say, Lord, there are things in this book I don't understand so instead of disregarding it, God, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would bring understanding and help me to live in obedience unto it. And so, so you obey the Lord, you consecrate yourself, you do what God has called you to do, and then God's job is to take care of you while you do what he's called you to do. It's a great deal. I mean, like, can we just be real about it? This is one of the best trades in all of history. God, I will focus on you, and God, you focus on me. I'll take that all day, every day. Here's the truth about God. God loves me more than I love me. God wants good for me more than I want good for me. God wants to bless me more than I even want to be blessed because he's that good. How many of you parents, you look at your children and your love for them compels you to want good for them even more than they want good for themselves. And sometimes the good that you want to give them doesn't make sense because their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed yet and they can't grasp it. They can't understand it. But you know more than they know. You've been around longer than they've been around and you love them even more than they can comprehend. How much more does your father Father in heaven want to give good gifts to you. My job is him. His job is me. Jesus tells us the same thing. In Matthew 6, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. You know what all these things is? It's... it's all these things. It's all these other things. Seek God, seek his kingdom, seek his righteousness. And then the Lord promises us in his word, hey, you let me take care of the details. Trust me, obey me, and let me take care of the consequences. And there's a false teaching that's been a part of the church far longer than I've been a part of the church. And it says this, it says that God won't let you go through more than you can handle. Some of y'all probably even shared that on Facebook before. It's not true though. There's nowhere, nowhere in his word does he say, I won't let you go through more than you can handle. He does say, I won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but I will provide a way of escape. But, but we're not talking about temptation. Even in that though, it does say that you will be tempted more than you can bear. You're just going to have a way out of it if you'll pay attention to it. Refer back to the life of Joseph. He never says you won't go through more than you can handle. He actually says you will go through situations that will kill you if you don't depend on me. Paul says it like this. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters. This comes from his second letter to the church at Corinth about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. 
listen to his words. He says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, here it is. We stopped relying on ourselves and learned. Everybody say that word, learned. We learned to rely only, not partially, not, not sometimes when I need it the most, but we learned always to only rely on God. The same God who has the power to raise the dead. And here's what he says. And he did rescue us. And he will do it again. We have placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. In Joshua's life, his name, Hosea, he, he was his own confidence. But as he grew into the man of God that God had for, for him to be, he became the man who trusted only in the Lord to provide salvation, right? I want to ask you, church, who's your confidence in today? If it is in you, you will never submit to radical obedience. If it is in you, you will always hold your cards close to your chest, knowing that if you don't do it, it ain't going to get done. But if you will say, God, my confidence is in you. I don't care if I look like a fool. I don't care if by this world's standards I look like a failure. Lord, if you tell me to walk, I'm going to take a step. If you tell me to go, I'm going to run. If you tell me to jump, I'm going to jump. I don't care, God. Whatever you have. All for you. So, Lifehouse, would you commit as a man or as a woman of God who has been saved by the blood of Jesus? but is being made pure, holy, and consecrated by the choices you make to obey or to disobey. Would you say to yourself and say to your Heavenly Father, God, everything you have for me, I want it. I want to leave the wandering wilderness, and God, I want to step into the wonders of your presence. Lord, instead of wandering in the wilderness, God, I want to experience everything you have for me. And that as a result, that we would see him move in our lives, in our homes, in our churches, and in the name of Jesus, in our communities, in our country, and in our world, as we make not a difference for ourselves, but a difference for eternity, if we will commit to true, radical obedience to the Lord that when we look at the walls we say you know what that ain't nothing I'll just walk around that I'll just take us I'll just do where you call me to do whatever it is whatever it looks like I don't care if you laugh at me I don't care if you block me or ban me I don't care what it I'm gonna obey the Lord if that's you would you stand with me this morning standing. I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to do it. I want to pray for everyone who's ready to say this morning, I want to leave the wandering wilderness and I want to step into the wonders of God. If that's your heart, if that's your prayer, and you, and listen, I've done my best to convey to you, it does not come free. It comes at a cost, right? It comes with a price. You commit to the life of purity. You commit to the life of holiness. You commit to consecrate yourself and say, Lord, I am set apart for your purposes, not my purposes. I want to be clear with you. This isn't something that you can just have. This is something that you have to say, God, I will follow you. 
wherever, however, whatever. If that's your prayer, to leave the wandering wilderness, to step into the wonders of our Father. And you, you're ready. You know the cost. You know what it's going to take. You're ready to lay the things down. You're ready to pick the things up. You want it all, good and bad and ugly. I want to invite you to come to this altar, spread all across this front. I want to pray for each and every one of you who are ready to make that step, ready to make that commitment.